0: You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website www.trinityws.com. Good morning, church. Today I'm going to be reading from Matthew 13:53 through 58. Please stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many great works there because of their unbelief. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right, let's pray as we get started on this. Father God, you know every heart of every person in this room right now. You know where each person is at in relationship to you. You know where each person is coming from just Today in general, I don't know those things, but you do, God. And so I pray that by your Spirit's power, as we study your word, you would meet each person. Holy Spirit, would you come here and minister to hearts that are hurting, people who are running from you, people who are broken, people who are joyful, people who are full of sorrow. Wherever each person's at, God, would you come and speak to us through your word? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think we all know that Jesus was born in Israel around 2,000 years ago, right? But I'd like to imagine with you for just a moment, if you would join me, what it would be like if Jesus were born in Seattle today, okay? Just imagine that with me for a minute, and interestingly enough, there's this guy who's an illustrator down in Portland, and he was imagining basically that exact thing, although it was Portland, but, you know, there's a lot of similarities, right? And, and he drew this amazing comic of what, how he imagined it. I don't know how well you can see that, but he calls this Jose y Maria because this is two working-class immigrants stuck in the middle of a city trying to find an open place to stay while they're both very young and she is very pregnant. <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, Joseph and Mary as they enter into Bethlehem, right? As, as she's pregnant with Jesus and about to give birth. And he's juggling the phone book and, and the payphone, And there are all kinds of wonderful treats in this photo, such as uh, wise man cigarettes, uh, <laughs> the the some something with the marquee over there with the something about a manger or something anyway there's all kinds of little wonderful things but you can kind of imagine a working class family in our modern context when you see this picture there's a lot of really great stuff here what would it be like if Jesus were born in Seattle today and what would it be like if Jesus grew up in Seattle what would it what would it be like if Jesus, all the things that happened that were told about in Scripture, what if, what if those happened here today? What if he were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed as the Messiah for ministry? What if he went through this whole region teaching with power and authority and wisdom? What if he performed miracles in the surrounding nations like this, this tells us about in, in Matthew's Gospel? You know, He goes up to Canada for example, and he he heals someone who is paralyzed, how would Seattle respond? How would Seattle respond? As I said earlier, Jesus is very polarizing. We've talked about that a lot in Matthew's gospel. And here in this story, we see that it's either offense or it's honor. And I want you to consider how you respond to Jesus. We want to think about how Seattle responds, but how do you respond to Jesus? This text teaches us why Jesus is worthy of honor and why, despite that fact, people are offended by him. And then it it tells us how Jesus responds to being rejected, which actually helps us know how to respond when people reject Jesus in us. So let's begin as this passage does with a bit of context. In verse 53, it said, And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. Now, each of the gospels is organized in a very particular way and for a very particular purpose. And Matthew's gospel is no exception. Not all history is strictly chronological. Matthew's gospel is chronological, but it's also theological. And Matthew has very specifically ordered things in the way that he has, and he's very deliberately placed these parables that Jesus has just finished teaching right here in chapter 13. He's laid these parables out for us like a precious diamond, if you will, as the light hits From different angles, you recognize different things about it. It's it's the same, and yet there are all sorts of different ways of saying the same thing. And that's what Jesus did through these parables. He explained that some people are good soil and some people aren't. That some people are receptive to the word of the kingdom and, and some people reject it. He explained that some people are wheat and some are weeds, that some people belong to him and some people belong to the evil one. Jesus explained through those metaphors and and a bunch of others in chapter 13, he's showed us that people will respond to him in different ways. And all of it, he said, wouldn't fully get sorted out until the final judgment when Jesus returns. But now the camera, if you will, is is kind of panning over and refocusing, and Matthew is showing us that the lessons of those parables, all of what Jesus has just taught, is actually about to come to bear in his own personal life. All the way through to the end of chapter 16, the very things that Jesus described are going to happen to him. They are going to unfold. As Jesus reveals his true identity, more and more and more people are going to be polarized. More and more and more. And so when Jesus finishes these teachings, it says he moves on. Now where does he move on to? He, he moves on to his hometown, to Nazareth. And this next set of verses, or I guess this next verse, 54, is going to answer this question, why is Jesus worthy of honor? And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so, what, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Why is Jesus worthy of honor? This is basically telling us He's worthy of honor because he's divine, because he's extraordinary. I mean, everyone in Nazareth is freaking out. They they hear his teaching at the synagogue. They hear his wisdom. They're struck by it. And he's performed these mighty works. Perhaps he's healed some people or he's cast out some demons. And what does it say? They're astonished. They don't know what to do with him. They don't understand how these things can be possible because Jesus is otherworldly. He's divine. If Jesus came and did this in Seattle today, I guarantee you we would be responding in the same exact way. We would be astonished too. All these things that Jesus was doing were signs confirming his identity as the Messiah because where did Jesus get these wisdom and these mighty works? It's a great question that they asked. But Matthew has already told us. He's already answered that question. Rewind with me, if you will, for just a moment back to Matthew chapter 3, where it tells us the answer to that question. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus taught with wisdom and did mighty works or or signs and wonders because he had been anointed by the Spirit of God as the Messiah and he had been confirmed and blessed by God the Father. This showed that Jesus' identity as the Son of God was true, that He is the true Messiah, that He is the Savior of the world, and clearly He is worthy of honor and praise and glory. Can I get an amen, church? But you see, He's also offensive. In fact, that's part of why He's offensive. Offensive. And this right here is the last time that Matthew records Jesus as having taught in a synagogue. Why? Because Matthew's trying to show us that by and large, the Jews have rejected Jesus. He is simply too offensive for them. But why? 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 Why is Jesus so offensive? Let's look at how this tells us in these next few verses. Is not this the carpenter's son, they said. The crowds are saying this. Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Why is Jesus offensive? And the answer is because he's just a man. Because he's ordinary You see, the word offense here can actually be translated as scandalized. These people are scandalized by the person of Jesus because they know this guy. How could he possibly be divine? How could all of these other amazing, miraculous, powerful things be going on? He's just a guy. This is the kid that our kids grew up with. This is the carpenter's son. This is the guy who has the oldest son, would have taken over the family business. And a carpenter was really just a builder, so Jesus may have helped some of these people build their houses. How could he possibly be divine? This can't be the Messiah. This can't be the Son of God standing before us right now. We know his family. After all, they say, Mary and Joseph, they've got a lot of kids. We know all of them. Right? We, we're hearing listed here maybe six or seven that Mary and Joseph at least had together. That doesn't include Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and Joseph became Jesus' adoptive father of. A lot of kids. As a quick side note, I want to point out having visited a whole lot of Catholic churches and worshiped with our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church in Europe recently, Don't listen to what our Catholic brothers and sisters say as it pertains to Mary. She was definitely not a perpetual virgin, as we can see very clearly right here. (laughs) Unless, I don't know, there'd be a lot of those miracles, I, I don't know. Anyway, but you can imagine hearing some of this, you can imagine how the townspeople talked about her, how they spread rumors to discredit her account of the Holy Spirit having visited her. You can imagine Mary telling everybody, this son of God was miraculously conceived in my womb, guys. That God has come to us in human form to save humanity from our sins. It's amazing. And she would have been so excited and joyful about this. And how would the town have responded? Just like people in Seattle would, wouldn't they? Right? Yeah, right, Mary. (laughs) Sure, sure you're a virgin, Mary, right? And clearly we can tell 30 years later as this story takes place, nobody believed her. Nobody believed her. And so because of his humanity, they explain Jesus' divinity away. They are full of unbelief. And who was included in that group of unbelievers there in Nazareth? The answer is Jesus' own family. Think about that. John 7, 5 tells us that not even his own brothers believed in him. Not even Judas, who was just mentioned here, who's also known as Jude. Not even Jude. Nope. How about James, who's mentioned here? Does he believe in Jesus? No. No none of them. Jesus is offensive even to his own siblings, which we're going to come back to at the end of this message. So how does Jesus respond to all this rejection? How does he respond? Verse 57, second half of 57 and 58. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Answer the question, how does Jesus respond? To those who withhold honor, he withholds himself. See that? To those who withhold honor of him, he withholds Himself, And you know it's interesting, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament and you, you study the Old Testament prophets, you're going to see this exact same pattern of people's rejection of them. It plays out over and over again. The Old Testament prophets, they spoke on behalf of God, yes, and in turn, what happened? They were also treated by the people the way that God was treated by the people. And so they were rejected because God was rejected, And in the person of Jesus, we see not only a prophet, we see a prophet who speaks on behalf of God, but we see God himself in the flesh, amen? Come on, amen, amen. We see God himself in the flesh, and how was God himself in the flesh treated? The same way that God was treated by humanity since the fall, the very same way. Rejection. Rejection. Friends, apart from God working a miracle in the human soul, we are helplessly bound to reject Him. It's a tragedy. Romans one twenty one says that although humanity knew God, although we knew of Him, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Apart from God redeeming us, we are foolishly and helplessly bound to dishonor him. And so taking that into context and consideration, imagine what this rejection must have been like for Jesus. I mean, he's come all the way from Eternity past, I can't even wrap my mind around that. He's come from eternity past on this rescue mission to heal the severed relationship that humanity has created with God. That's what he's here for. He's come to make peace with hostile humans, and even then, humanity is offended by him and rejects him. And think about this, it's not just, you know, generic humanity as a, as, a, as a cold, impersonal, theoretical group of people out there. No, he is also rejected specifically by the very people who he has spent his entire life with. Some of you have faced rejection, but I guarantee you, you have not faced rejection like this. Some of you have been betrayed, but I guarantee you, you have not been betrayed like this. And so I think Jesus is grieved. He's got to be grieved. Because relationships are a two way street. You can't have a relationship with someone who rejects you, right? And this is his family. These are his friends. These are his neighbors. These are the people who he grew up with, and they're rejecting him. And so, what does he do? He withholds himself, I said, right? What do I mean by that? How is he withholding himself? It said he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Why didn't he work miracles? Because of their unbelief. Because they didn't believe. Now we hear that statement and and we wonder to ourselves, why? How, How does that relate to us today? Is this just the way that God works? You know, a lot of Christians use this verse as a proof text to spiritually abuse people. So we need to be really clear about what this does and does not mean. Does does God only do miracles when we believe? Is God's action dependent on our faith? And the answer is yes and no. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Yes and no, and here's, here's what I mean. No in the sense that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Can I get an amen? In fact, God throughout human history has often acted both in light of and in spite of human will, right? And in the case of today's story, Jesus is acting, he, he's, he's accepting their rejection, he's, he's reacting, responding to them. He gave them an opportunity to respond in him with honor, and they didn't take it. And so, what does he give them? He gives them what they want. And I know many of your stories of how God has saved many of you. I know many of you have stories where you actively sought out God, you you, you pursued an understanding of him, you wanted to know who he was, and you found him in Jesus Christ. But then there are many of you who also have stories where you actively ran from him and resisted him, some of you, for decades, and he actually wouldn't let you have your way, right? Amen? Anybody got that story? I know that story. Some people pray for God to move for years and years without him saying yes. God, would you come and heal me, please? Or Lord, would you save my son or my daughter? And does he not say yes to that prayer in your timing because you don't have enough faith? I think we've got to assume that there must be cases where that's true. But prayer is an act of faith, isn't it? And so... Can we say that that's true in every case? Absolutely not. There are all sorts of reasons why it may be God's will or it may not be his timing to act in the way that we're asking for. And so part of faith is actually trusting him despite the no. Faith is trusting him despite the not now when God gives gives us that answer. And so sometimes God does mighty works. I've experienced it. I know some of you have experienced it. And other times, he chooses not to. And that does interact with our faith in a way that's just mysterious. We don't have an always one way or another. But the point here in this story is not really about all of that, so much as it's about Jesus accepting the rejection of his hometown people. And we should count that, friends, as a warning for all of us. You hear me? Jesus accepts their rejection, and that is a warning for all of us. See, we hear a lot about the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, and rightly so. He's a God that's just abundantly overflowing with love and grace and mercy, that's, that's the kind of heart that would compel someone to die for his enemies like Jesus did for us. But don't make the mistake of thinking that with Jesus it's all puppy dogs and ice cream. You know? It's all peaches and cream or whatever you want to fill in the blank. It's all rosy all the time. If you're offended by him, in other words, if you reject him, there is a point where he may give you what you want. And that warning should give us immense amount of pause because if you go back to the parables that we just looked over months ago in chapter 13, you'll see the horrific judgment that awaits those who reject him. Just part of what's so offensive about Jesus. And yet there's also an a strange encouragement, I would say, here in this story. For those of us who know and love Jesus, and here's what it is. Here's the encouragement. We shouldn't be surprised when Jesus is rejected by those around us. We should actually expect it. Peter highlights this Uh, this encouragement in chapter 4 of his first epistle. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. When you suffer, especially when you suffer for the name of Jesus, don't count it as something strange. It's not strange. But no, rejoice. 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 Be filled with joy. Celebrate insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. In other words, as you are rejected for the name of Jesus, celebrate it. Throw a party. Rejoice because you get to participate in the God who suffered for you. That you may also rejoice. Why? So That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When Jesus returns, when he comes to judge the living and the dead and his glory is fully revealed on earth, you'll get to finish that rejoicing. That rejoicing will be complete. And as Christians, we got to remember, we can't forget this, friends. We follow a God who was rejected. And what does that tell us? It tells us that people will reject Christ in us too. And you see, if we forget this and then someone rejects us, we, we might all respond in, in many different ways other than what Peter has just told us, to rejoice. Our tendency is to respond in a lot of different ways besides rejoicing. And, and I want to close our time with three And just unpack them briefly with you as we consider where our hearts are at before God today. The first one is, we might be compelled to throw in the towel. So this is just, these are ways that we might respond to the fear of being rejected. We might throw in the towel, just just give up. This is too hard to follow Jesus in this place, in this time, in this culture. It's just too hard. And, And some of you might make the, you might think, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe this isn't worth it. And if that's you, friend, I love you, but I gotta tell you, you're terrible at math, okay? Let me explain what I mean. If you think it's not worth it, let's just do some math together, okay, for just a minute. Which is longer, this moment right now or eternity, okay, right? Or, or how about this, which is longer, this life, maybe if you're lucky, 70, 80, 90 years, or infinity years, which one is longer, right? Or which one is more valuable, the opinion of people or the glory of God? Which one? See, avoiding one minuscule little painful moment from people is nothing, when compared to forever with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So don't give up. It is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. What else? Forgetting that being rejected for Jesus is part of what we signed up for when we chose to follow Him might also lead us to, to another fear here, it might lead us to downplay Jesus' role and significance in our lives. Maybe we aren't like ready to fully throw in the towel. We're like, this eternal life thing seems like a good deal, so I'm, I, I don't want to fully say I am not any, don't have anything to do with Jesus, but it's creating this sort of privatized faith versus a very public faith which in effect, friends, is throwing in the towel. Because as Pastor Harvey said, as he was with us last week, there's no such thing as privatized faith. Private faith isn't really faith. And think about this. If someone saved your life, let's just say you're drowning in the ocean and someone throws you a life preserver, you would tell everyone about them, wouldn't you? You would go on to, to to share that story time and time again with no hesitation, no fear, no fear that you might look bad because you were so helpless and you needed to be saved, right? No fear about the person who saved you and what people might think about them. And Christian, if you're a Christian, Jesus saved your soul. So how could you not honor him? The only reason you would not honor him is because you know my, what might happen to you if you do. You might be treated like he was. But, Christians in the room, don't you want to honor him? Don't you want to rejoice in him and tell people about him? You should. You should honor him. You should tell everyone about them. You shouldn't pretend like he's not a part of your life or downplay his role in your life. And finally, forgetting that being rejected for Jesus is part of what we signed up for when we chose to follow him might lead us to this final fear of being rejected and we might avoid offending people. I think we all believe deep down that offending people is bad, right? Yes, Can, am I the only one who thinks this? Right? Offending people is bad, and and generally probably true. We probably shouldn't be people who are trying to offend people. In fact, we've often throughout this series talked about not being jerks for Jesus. Right? We don't want to offend people just to offend people. But if, if I were to offend a liar, right, or a murderer by telling them that what they did was wrong, that'd be really good, right? That would be a good kind of offense. So you have to consider, am I being offensive because I'm a jerk for Jesus? That's a bad reason. Am I being offensive because I have a lack of care and concern for other people? Bad reason to offend people. But am I offensive because the gospel is offensive? Good reason. Good reason. And in fact, as people are offended, what we've just learned is that it's a reason to rejoice and to be encouraged because we get to share in what Christ experienced. Now, we need to be careful here. Classic, classic Christian, like, fundamentalist thing to do is to be self-righteous and proud and call it, I'm standing up for Jesus, right? We don't want to have anything to do with that. While we should be okay with offending people for good reason, we also shouldn't try to offend people. So we got to be sure if, if we're being rejected, it's actually for the sake of the gospel, not because we're just such an offensive person in general. And Peter actually tells us in his epistle, he tells us to honor Christ in our hearts Always being willing to give a response or a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is within you. But he says, do it, make a defense, with gentleness. Do it with respect. So in other words, with kindness and care. And that kindness and care that you show people when you share Jesus with them, are as important as the words that you share. Both important. And in many ways, the messenger is the message. The way that you share Jesus is going to teach them about what Jesus is like. So don't avoid offending people if it means avoiding sharing Jesus with them. And in closing, I want you just to think about How do you respond to Jesus? How are you going to respond to Jesus today? Honor or offense? Can you reconcile this God of paradoxes that Jesus' hometown could not reconcile? Can you reconcile and respond in honor to the fact that God is, that Jesus is human and divine? Can you respond to Jesus in honor in the fact that He is a carpenter, yes, but He's also the Messiah, that He is ordinary, but He's also extraordinary, that He is weak, but He's also powerful, all-powerful, that He is like us in every way except that He's unlike us and that He is without sin. Can you come to terms with the seeming contradiction of Jesus' nature? I told you earlier I'd come back to Jesus' brothers, James and Jude. Remember, they were part of that group of people who had rejected Jesus. But the event that allowed them to come to terms with the paradoxical Jesus was his resurrection. After his resurrection, after Jesus rose, all the ambiguity, all the struggle for them, it was over. They were 100% all in. There was no more offense It was all honor. In fact, Jesus' brother Jude went on to write a book of the Bible, right, praising Jesus, honoring him as Christ and the Son of God. His brother James also wrote a book of the Bible, and he even went on to become the bishop of Jerusalem, and both of these brothers went on to put their lives on the line and be martyred as loyal worshipers of Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Because they caught a glimpse of Jesus' glory. They saw him as he truly is, and their view of him was transformed. It wasn't a struggle to see these apparent paradoxes any longer. The brother who they had grown up with was now the Messiah. The carpenter that they would probably worked alongside of Who is now the prophet, the one who they ate breakfast with, was now the one who they were saved by. Have you caught a glimpse of Jesus' glory? Has it transformed your view of him? Has he gone from being the guy that your friends and your family and your co workers have a disdain for to being? the Lord of my life. Has He become the Lord of your life? If so, then let's respond to Him together. That's what we're going to do now together, friends. First mode of response, I just want to cue you up for those of you who are in a community group. Here's some instructions. Just a question to discuss this a bit and dig into it a bit more. Where have you encountered people being offended by Jesus and how have you responded? And then secondly, we want to practice spiritual disciplines together in our community groups. I'll send out a reminder of instructions for this this week. Our September spiritual discipline is sharing your faith. So we'll practice that together. I'm going to pray and then we'll respond to God together. Father, thank you so much for sending us your son. Jesus, we admit that it is a challenge to reconcile the apparent paradox of your personhood, that you are just so incredibly powerful and amazing and so incredibly human and normal. And that sometimes that can be a challenge for us to worship you and honor you rightly as we encounter people who don't do that. Would you help us, God, as we go from this place today? Send us as your ambassadors. Send us to tell people about Jesus, that more people might come to know him, more people might be saved by him, more people might come to honor him and live for him, that, Jesus, you would get a lot of glory, we pray in your name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.